Hey folks, one quick thing before we dive into this week's episode. For anyone that's going to RailsConf, I want to let you know that a number of us from ThoughtBot will be there as well. John Schumann will be giving a talk about bringing sprinkles of functional programming to your Ruby and Rails applications. Joelle Kenneville and Rachel Matthew will be together presenting a mock ThoughtBot technical interview live on stage. And I will be giving a workshop on mastering Git. In addition, we'll be recording a bunch of live bike sheds, and we're even hoping to pull together a meetup one of the nights. So keep an eye on any of the Twitter feeds if you're interested, and be sure to say hi. Anything else for us to know or think about, Tom? Oh, no, I've got my pre-roll. Yeah, I figured you did. (laughs) Tom just stays for an indeterminate amount of time while he's just grabbing secret pre-roll. Until you tell something funny enough to put before the episode. Oh, that's good. So when you leave, it means we've been funny. (laughs) That's that's good to know. And there it is. Hi, Steph. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. How's your day going? It is going fantastically. I'm here in the studio recording with you, and that is a sort of new fun thing. Yeah, this is my third time that I've gotten to be in the bike shed. This is your third time, but this is also a slightly different version of you joining the bike shed because you are going to be joining for the foreseeable future. We are now (laughs) co-hosts. Woo! Yeah, I, I'm excited. I've never been a co-host on a podcast before. Uh, and of course, Bike Shed is near and dear to my heart since I listened to it before I joined ThoughtBot. And now that I'm here, it's super exciting that I get to be a part of this. I think the show will largely be the same, but I think you and I will get to dig a little bit deeper into some of the topics. This is sort of a return to the format that the show started with and that it had for many years with uh, Derek and Sean. But at the same time, I think it's important to say that we don't want to fundamentally change some of the things that have been going on over the past number of months. So we'll still be planning to bring other ThoughtBot voices into the fold from time to time, as well as other community guests. But on a week-to-week basis, it will probably be you and I chatting about what we've been up to. Yeah, I love that we're going to keep up with some of the interviews and also bringing some of the other ThoughtBotters onto the bike shed. Having their voice here has been valuable. And I've learned so much, not just from them and their expertise, but more about my colleagues. So I'm glad that we're keeping that as well. Turns out podcast is a fantastic way to get to know someone. True. To dig into some things. But yeah, with that in mind, what have you been up to? What have you been working on? So I'm officially a React and TypeScript developer now. That's new for me. I wouldn't say I'm a good <laughs> React and TypeScript developer just yet, but I joined a new client project and we are building a project in React and that we also decided to reach for TypeScript. And it's been a lot of fun to learn. It's a part of my career where I typically have done more backend versus frontend work. So it's been fun to feel more well-rounded to experience React and more JavaScript pieces. Yeah, it does definitely feel like the work that we're doing at ThoughtBot and then just generally looking out to the community, more and more things are shifting to client-side development and and building out a significant, if not the entirety, of the UI in technologies like React or some of the other similar ones. And so growing our collective experience here at ThoughtBot and that definitely makes sense. I noticed that some of our projects have started to be more front-end projects. And I, and I think maybe before I joined ThoughtBot, that was true, uh, because I know there were some Ember projects as well, but React seems to be the one that ThoughtBotters have enjoyed the most out of the front-end clients or the front-end frameworks that are in use. Is that kind of your sense as well, that we're going to continue with React projects? Yes, uh, I think that's definitely true. And it's hard for me to tease apart my own personal preferences from the broader ThoughtBot mindshare. But when I have conversations with folks, we seem to be happiest on React projects. I think we're most, we are our most effective on React projects. 
and this is in comparison to just enumerate a few of the others. Uh, we've done some view work. We've done some Ember, some Angular. Uh, way back when there was Backbone, um, which we did a good amount of, and even had, you know we've written a book on Backbone and things like that. But there does seem to be a strong convergence in the community around React. It seems to just be growing and growing. And yeah, I think I certainly prefer it, and I think broadly ThoughtBot prefers it. And we're also seeing a lot of uh, need and demand. So clients coming to us with, we already have a React code base, but we want help with that. Or we've hired a team and that team has knowledge of how to work in React. So that's the technology that we want to use. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also, it's, it's just fun. I like React. That's been one of the benefits about this particular project is it's been a while since I've been this new to mm-hmm. a whole new tech stack. And it has reminded me what it's like to be very new to something and learning in public and reaching out to others for help. And luckily, React does have so much out there that's already created around tutorials and documentation. So it's been pleasant to learn. I've enjoyed learning React. I would be excited to have another React project. Would learn again. Would learn again. Yeah. Yes. The beginner's mindset and returning to that is always such an interesting thing. And I think that this was a, a large one for you because it was language and framework, mostly. Like you've done JavaScript, but TypeScript is enough of an addition on top of that that I think it was kind of like a new language and a new framework for you. Mm -hmm. Does that feel true? That's very true. I also have a secret in regards to what you just said. So I have done JavaScript. This is Mm -hmm. very true. But I haven't done very much JavaScript in most of my career. So I've been programming for about five years, started learning a little bit of JavaScript in the beginning, but most of my clients' projects that I've worked on haven't used JavaScript very heavily. So it's been fun to feel that I haven't done much JavaScript in my career, but finally bring it full circle to feel more of that well-rounded where I feel strong in the back end, but also strong in the front end. Mm -hmm. It's interesting the way you you phrase that as I have a secret or as if there's like some secret shame to this. You're not the first developer that I've interacted with that has approached it from like, can I uh, can I tell you something? I actually haven't done that much JavaScript. I think that's a very natural path that some of us have taken. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are like, well, I guess now I'm a front-end developer and, and you find yourself in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think it's kind of interesting the distinction between front-end and back-end mm-hmm. and the way particularly that we approach it at ThoughtBot. A lot of organizations that I see have a stronger distinction you are a front-end developer or you're a back-end developer. And front-end developer can also often encompass what we describe as design. So there's like different Venn diagram overlapping circles here. But we tend to work as web developers is more what we would refer to ourselves. And I personally really like being able to span the back and front of the stack, having a little bit more control. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? I agree. I really like how we approach it where there's a term full stack, which has very real meaning to it. I, I typically don't use that word just because it's it's kind of catchy that people use from like a recruiting perspective of where they want someone to be full stack. But I do enjoy being able to implement everything from what the user is going to see to the back end and how the data needs to be organized. So that is one of the things I, I really do like. And I do still use that nomenclature of I'm referring to JavaScript as being more of like a front end kind of development work. But yeah, I I like the fact that we span both sides. But even with spanning both sides, most of my projects still haven't been like heavy JavaScript. We'll often advocate for if we can just render HTML and it's not too many interactions. If that makes sense for that project, that's what we'll always lean into first. And then once we realize, okay, we need some heavier interactions for the user, and then we'll start to reach for something like JavaScript. I still believe in that, although uh, slowly over time, I'm starting to like give up ground on that fight, I would say. A few years ago, I would have very firmly tried to fight that. And now it's like, oh, we're probably going to end up in React anyway. Hmm. Uh, I don't like that the way there's like an 
acquiescence to me saying that. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm, I'm giving up. But it is a, a non-trivial transition when you want to move things to the front end. And if you know that a good amount's going to be that way, then it sort of makes sense. It's interesting, the client project that I'm working on right now, uh, it's using Angular, actually, which is a different framework. We can circle back to that as a topic at some point. But the interesting thing that I'm finding is for a while, I was building out functionality that definitely strongly leveraged the client rendering and all of the dynamic interaction stuff that you can get. But now, suddenly, I'm moving on to the like admin authoring interface for this thing. Okay. So first, we built the fun interactive user experience, and now we're circling around and doing the authoring thing. And it's just pure crud. And I would love if I had like Rails, essentially, mm-hmm. to be able to build that out because I know I could move that much faster. And trying to do that sort of thing in React or in Angular or in mm-hmm. you know separate API and front end and all of those pieces, I'm now suddenly feeling the other side of like, ah, oh, it would be really nice if I just could do this the easy way. But maybe that's actually some of our bias, too, of having spent a lot of time in Rails and frameworks like that. It could be. So there's there's two thoughts uh, for that. One of them, I do think admins are one of the interesting areas where we tend to over-engineer the experience for admins. Mm. Not to, as any slight to admins, they, they should have a good experience as well. But typically, server-rendered HTML works perfectly for an admin experience. And then you mentioned earlier about you're okay with adopting React or something earlier on in the process, even if we're not sure how heavy the user interaction is going to be yet. And that may be because of like how comfortable we're feeling with React mm. and the fact that we have tools like TypeScript and other things to reach for. So if we went back a few years back before you were comfortable using React or before we had TypeScript around, that's probably when we were pushing heavier to avoid JavaScript. But yep. now that we have some more powerful tooling around it, they were like, yeah, this this feels good. We can reach for this and still feel very comfortable with our development flow yep. and that we're not giving up anything valuable. Yeah, I think you've seen to the core of me on this. You've <laughs> been around. I wasn't thinking about it in that way, but I think that's definitely true. I'm, I'm feeling more and more confident with these technologies. And to be very clear, this is like a shifting of a decision, not a binary. Mm-hmm. I have switched and now I just start everything in React. It's I'll push back a little bit less, I think, and I'll be like, yeah, I guess we can start with React a little bit more easily. But I will still, if I see what looks like mostly a CRUD application and we're using Rails as the backend technology, I will strongly push for just some server-side rendered forms. Those things are great. They Love are. Forms. HTML, I've heard great things. Have you used TypeScript pretty heavily? It sounds like you have. I've spent a good amount of time with it. Angular has the interesting distinction where Angular 2 is TypeScript first, which Mm -hmm. is the only framework that I know of that has that. It is possible to write Angular 2. What's that mean to be TypeScript first? So I may misstate this, but my understanding is it's the officially supported language. It's the officially authored language. You probably should be writing your Angular in TypeScript. And if you write in with an issue and you're in JavaScript, I don't think they'll like entirely ignore you, mm-hmm. but it's considered like, well, you chose not to do the thing that we have paved completely. And there is one interesting aspect where somewhat uniquely Angular takes advantage of TypeScript in a way that other languages do not. Uh, so Angular has inherent to it this dependency injection framework, which is a whole thing. It's a complicated piece of machinery. And Angular 2, when they introduce TypeScript, As far as I understand it, they leverage TypeScript in order to power the dependency injection framework. So you can say, I have a class, a JavaScript class, and it has, in the constructor, it says, I need an HTTP client, and I need a local storage client. And those are abstract dependencies that you're stating. Mm -hmm. You specify the types to imply that they are these types of things, like TypeScript types. 
Angular, the framework, will inject those dependencies at runtime based on various configurations. In some ways, they are using TypeScript for more than just compile time type checking, but they're somehow emitting more info. And frankly, I don't fully understand how it works, but I know that that's part of how Angular has leaned into TypeScript. Mm. That said, I've actually found Angular's interactions with TypeScript to be much less than I would want, whereas my experiences with React and TypeScript are better, although both of them have some caveats and some hand wavings. But TypeScript as a language, the more I use it, the more I like it. I'm a huge fan of TypeScript. Interesting. I'm curious that Angular is TypeScript first, but yet you said that you prefer the experience with React and TypeScript. I know, right? Yeah. Seems like a weird thing. It it does. Angular is a complex enough framework where they have built a lot of things themselves. So ES6, I think ES6 and up of JavaScript has a module system, has imports and exports and all that stuff. But Angular has its own module system. And they interact in kind of weird ways. And the client project I'm on actually has a third build system that inherently sort of has a module system. And mm-hmm. so it's it's like Webpack, but it's a different thing. And when you mix all of those together, the complexity that I'm experiencing is just overwhelming. So that's one example of Angular being very big. Is like It also has its own module system. Mm-hmm. It also has this dependency injection system. And by virtue of some of the complexity that they brought in, it's actually really hard to do TypeScript things in it or to do normal JavaScript things even. So TypeScript is great at meeting JavaScript where it is and adding type safety and constraints to that. Mm -hmm. But as a pointed example, this is the one that causes me by far the most pain. In Angular, you can have components vaguely similar to React components, Mm -hmm. uh, ways to decompose portions of your UI, Mm -hmm. and you can combine them together and you can render one component from another. But it's subtler and different. It tries to be HTML in a way. Like all Angular is valid HTML in a very confusing way, but it needs Angular to run to then actually like magic it up. That's just a confusing, weird thing and has complicated trade-offs. React does not make that choice. But by virtue of some of the things that are going on, you cannot, in an Angular component, say, I require this argument. Mm -hmm. Like In the React world, it would be, I have a required prop. You Mm -hmm. must pass me a string, which I will call the name. So you must say name equals and then braces to pass in the string or, or whatever it is. That works in React and TypeScript. If you forget to put that, you'll get a little red squiggly. It will say, you did the wrong thing here. Try again. In Angular, there's no way to constrain that. And so you end up having to do a combination of things. Like you either say that it's optional, but then you assert that it was there on the, basically the on init or the startup of the component. Okay. Uh, So you've moved what could be a compile time check into a runtime check. Which kind of negates the Kind of the negates benefit. the whole thing. Yeah. And so I actually did a pretty heavy refactoring within the application mm-hmm. that I'm working on just earlier this week. And for a while, I was just chasing down compilers. Like I made my first change, and then TypeScript was just telling me where to jump and where to jump. I love that experience. Mm-hmm. I'm such a fan of that. But eventually they ran out, and TypeScript was like, congratulations, you're all done. And I was like, I know that I am not done. And so then, thankfully, I had a test suite that went along with this, and I ran the test suite, and everything was broken. Every single test was broken because I changed the interface between these components. It wasn't a huge breakage. It was relatively easy to chase down. But had I not had those tests, Mm -hmm. my type system now tells me everything's fine, but it is definitely not fine. And the thing that I'm frustrated about is this is definitely knowable at compile time, Mm -hmm. and yet by virtue, and I I don't fully understand why this is the way it is, but by virtue of some of the architecture of Angular, it cannot leverage the TypeScript type system in this way. And I'm just like, really? 
But that's the whole thing that I want. Yeah. Partly, I'm much more familiar and confident with React. And so mm -hmm. I find myself trying to copy some of those idioms into the Angular world. And there's definitely, I'm trying to find the Angular idioms and figure out how do I swim with the stream here? How do I do the Angular thing, even if it's not necessarily what would intuitively come to me or what I feel is best mm -hmm. while I'm in this world? I should try and program in that mode. Right. But this one feels like it should definitely work and doesn't work. And I'm sad. Yeah, it's disappointing when you you feel like you've introduced some type safety into your system, but then your compiler tells you everything is fine, but you have the knowledge that it's not. Because mm -hmm. the goal is for the compiler to be smarter than me. I want the compiler to, to know more than I do and to let me know when I've made a mistake. Yep. That's probably one of my the nice things that about this, is being able to have that optional static typing. Although the optional part... It's a love-hate relationship. Mm. I love it because then you can incrementally add it to your project if you already have something. So that's a really nice experience that you can slowly bring it into your product. And then the other caveat to that is because it's optional, then you really have to have buy-in from everyone that you want to use TypeScript and that you're going to take the time to make sure that you're adding these static types. I also really like the way that adding static types or adding types to any system really changes the way that I think about my code. I found that if I'm explicitly adding types and if I'm thinking about it up front, because often I'll come into my code and I'll write a method and I'll have it achieve the things that I want it to achieve. But if I'm adding types first, then I will consider the consumer's experience of that method first and then the output of it. That's one of my favorite parts. In addition to the compiler, I like that experience of thinking about like, okay, how's this going to interact with the rest of the system? Let me start there first. And then I can fill out the details as to how it gets there. That resonates very strongly with me. And it's very reminiscent of why we talk so often about TDD and not just testing. Mm. Like we find that process and that let's start from the outside in. Let's think about exactly what you're saying, the like consumer's experience. How are my friends going to use this thing that I made? And I'm almost certain I produce better code as a result. I enjoy the experience more and I think it's a more straightforward authoring experience. Like I start from there and mm. then I fill in the details. Mm -hmm. But yeah, very much the same thing. The compiler is great, but also it's interesting to me how much it informs my thinking and the approach that I take to writing the code. I still haven't quite found my groove with TypeScript yet, and I'm hoping that'll just come with time as I use it more. I'll get a bit better at it, and then it'll just come a little more naturally to using it. But I'm still looking for that at the moment because I'm still running into those areas where, like you said, I would expect the compiler to catch something, and it hasn't yet. Mm. And maybe that's just user error on my part, or maybe it's something else. I'm still figuring that part out. I think you were describing... TypeScript is somewhat complicated in that it has that flexibility and that gradual on-ramp. And mm -hmm. so it requires a lot of discipline to use it. You have to you know, fill out the types and you have to not write any anywhere. And in contrast to something like Elm, it's not discipline that you need to write Elm. It's fortitude, I would say. And it's fantastic. <laughs> I love that about Elm because when it compiles, it works. And I have found that to be literally true. Except for that one time. It was a weird day. But I'll blame that on other things. <laughs> but in general, that's been my experience with Elm is you just you go change something and you chase down the compiler errors and then it works and it's fantastic. Obviously, mm -hmm. like if your parser is just wrong, well, even that parsers are good in Elm, whereas in TypeScript is much more flexible. And so to really get that experience of if it compiles, it works, takes a ton of discipline. Mm -hmm. But I, I do find there being value in the gradual on-ramp. I just think you have to work into it. And it's interesting, the project that you're working on right now, there ended up being some any's in the code base. There's a couple. And so I think that probably colors that experience. Like the less any's in your code base, any in TypeScript being a way to essentially opt out of the type verification. You're saying mm -hmm. like, this could be anything. And so don't constrain me and don't tell me I'm wrong if I try and type something because it totally could be true. You don't know. Uh, it's roughly what any means in my understanding of the TypeScript thing. 
But by having those, TypeScript can't watch for you, can't keep your back. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm still finding my groove with TypeScript is I think that's more on me to go back and improve my experience by replacing any of the innies that have snuck through. There is an interesting trade-off because we've had conversations around TypeScript and velocity because there is a nice balance that we want to strike between when our clients need to get code out for their users to have right away. Maybe they have a really important feature or something that needs to get released to alleviate some immediate pains that they're feeling. So we try to have meaningful conversations around what makes sense to get out the door right away. And then are we going to budget time to come back and fix this? Are we going to budget the time now and pay the tax up front versus paying the tax later? And I think we have made that balance where we've decided that this is crucial to get out to the users and get some feedback from them and then to budget some time to come back and work on TypeScript. And that has colored my TypeScript experience a little bit. But I've felt enough benefits from TypeScript where it's caught a few things that I've done that I I see the hope. I see the the ideal world where it's going to let me know when I've made mistakes or when my expectations of my code don't align. I also find it really helpful for when reading others' code as well. Like it's really nice documentation. Like I can go in and if it's like in a pull request format and I can see how they're approaching a particular issue or matter and how they're mentally modeling that if I can see the types that they're introducing. So I'm excited to see more of that. Yeah, I think, again, the the parallels to test-driven development, like well-written tests, that's a way that I'll start looking at a system is I'll go explore the tests and see what's the little story that they tell me and types and the interfaces to components and to other things within the system. They can have that same introductory or or they can guide me in trying to explore. Also, similar to test-driven development, it's a practice and it's a mindset and it's a skill that collectively we at ThoughtBot have built that up over time such that test-driven development within a Rails app is obvious and incurs very little overhead. Like Mm -hmm. if we were to just write code as quick as we can with no tests, we would probably go a little bit faster, but we also know that we would grind to a halt pretty quickly. And we've put in all the effort to make it so that test-driven development and tests in general only add like, say, a 10% overhead. Mm -hmm. We've worked really hard to bring that number down by building our expertise and our, our skills around it. I think the same thing can be true of types. TypeScript is actually a very powerful type system and has some like nifty stuff in it, pick and omit and all these other weird type level keywords that Mm -hmm. I still have no idea how to actually use, but I know that there's this whole world there. And my goal with TypeScript, because I'm similarly, I'm very much on the learning path for it, is to continue exploring it such that I can get that overhead down as low as possible. Because I believe very similar to tests, it will enable future refactoring and keeping the code base clean and keeping it maintainable in such a way that if I can if I can bring that overhead down in the beginning as low as possible, then it's an obvious choice. Then it's clear and, and there's no like, well, all right, there's a trade-off here. Like I want to make that question go away. Yeah, you just made me realize and when you were comparing to looking at your types and looking at your tests, that that's what I'm doing. And I, I didn't realize it until you just said it now. But well, typically, if I'm looking at some code, I'll go to the test first because they serve as a great way of documentation and to see how something works. And I've been treating types the same way that when I have access to good types to read those, I will often look at those first to get sort of like a mental model of the changes that are taking place, what's being introduced. And it does help since we are such strong believers in TDD, BDD, that we're champions in that area. And we can also help if there are any teams that are new to testing, we can help them overcome those initial hurdles of learning how to test. But now being on a project where I too am new to TypeScript, that overhead has increased enough that we don't have a TypeScript champion on this project yet. 
So I think that has altered a bit of our world and how much we have delved into adding TypeScript versus how much we have pushed off to be like, well, we'll, we'll come back and then we'll champion this and we'll learn about this and add it. But a bit like Tess, it's kind of hard to go back and add it. It's easier if you think about it up front and you add the test as you go because it's going to change the quality of your code and how your code interacts. So it's something that we will do, but I think it will be a little challenging to to go back and add it. Mm, yeah, the after the fact is like adding tests after the fact is always at a minimum, you end up with different code. If you add them up front, they constrain the system like you were talking about. Having the types up front informs how you'll build the system. But I think it's still worthwhile. And interestingly, because the type system sort of got tests built in, like TypeScript knows about all of the normal JavaScript built-ins already. So if you just take a JavaScript file and rename it as .ts, like there is benefit there. Even though it is the identical code in your source file, TypeScript knows some stuff and can tell you some things and can even point out some errors that early on. But there has been a question in my mind around TypeScript as I've been exploring it more, and that is, is it useful even in the like dialed down most minimal form? Mm. And the project that I'm working on, I wouldn't say it's all the way dialed down because TypeScript literally has settings for strict mode versus not or no implicit any is a really fantastic feature of TypeScript where it says like, hey, uh, I actually wasn't able to infer the type of this. Please do tell me and you can have it yell at you for that or not. Um, so if you're coming from JavaScript, you might turn that off. But in general, you want to have that on. But still even in a minimal form, which I would describe the project that I'm on right now, interacting with Angular, where like the type system just can't even express some of the things that I believe to be very much should be in the type system. Still, I'm finding it so beneficial. Um, just being able to refactor under a type system is so, so useful that this project has been sort of my test bed for that question of, is it useful even like in the worst case scenario? And the answer that I've come to is yes. And so now my stance is TypeScript all the things forever and always when it would be JavaScript otherwise. Yes. So when you were asking that question, I was already nodding and answering it before you got to your answer. <laughs> so I just ran into that this morning where even in the project, if we don't have a lot of strong TypeScript types that are defined, simply I changed a JS file to a TS file. And then it notified me that one of the functions I was using, I was passing it one argument when it expects to. And that's something that the app was fine with and wasn't causing any problems. But I, I didn't know that. And that was just such a nice gift to me that all I did was change the extension of a file. And suddenly I know that a function had a different expected input versus the arity that I was giving it. So I agree. I'd say a little bit of TypeScript is better than no TypeScript. Yep. I love the phrasing that you use there. Such a nice gift that the type system gave me. It is a gift when my code helps me. It Absolutely. is very much a gift. It saves me time, saves me headaches. Let's me focus in a way that, like with JavaScript, I have to keep the whole system in mind. And Ruby and Rails, I, I think a lot of times falls into a similar boat. We try and write our Rails code in such a way that we have small, isolated pieces. And when you have, ideally, this also goes in line with functional programming. Strongly typed functional programming, I can focus on one little function and ignore the world. And the type system will make sure that the inputs that I say I'm getting are the ones that I'm getting and that the output that I say I'm giving is the one that I return in all possible cases. And so I can just focus on the logic within that tiny little unit right there. And that's wonderful. Makes the day so much easier. I've been enjoying React and I've been enjoying learning TypeScript as well. How are, how are things in your world? You're on an Angular project right now? I am on an Angular project. It's Angular on the front end, Python on the back end. It is interesting. The client that we're working for has a lot of unique infrastructure 
the language choices and framework choices are different than the ones that we would initially go for. And so it's that has been challenging. What's a bit of the Angular structure? I've never seen Angular. I haven't used it. So is there anything that I would recognize about how Angular works? Is it similar to, I think you said earlier, it's similar to React where there's components? Similar-ish. Okay. Uh, it has components. You can largely sort of route to a component. So that is vaguely similar to React. But it has a lot of other things at play. So there's the module system, which I hinted at. There is dependency injection, which is unavoidable. Dependency injection is an interesting thing where I like it in theory, but every experience that I've had with it has been very complicated. It quite possibly is one of those things where I ran into maybe the concept of like the maybe type within languages like Elm or Scala. Mm -hmm. I ran into that earlier in my career and I was just like, what is this? This is confusing. It's a bunch of overhead. I don't even like it. I don't see why we would do it. And over time, I've really come around to that. And I love that idea of modeling uncertainty in the form of maybe or potential failure in the case of something like an either type. So maybe this is (laughs) potentially this is just me not yet having understood the dependency injection framework and not having embraced it. And I've also not felt many benefits from it. Uh, It makes testing incredibly complicated, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that one of the purported benefits of dependency injection is, well, because all of your components just declare their dependencies, you can change them up at test time and have fake versions injected. But there's so much ceremony that I'm finding to that. Mm, That Uh, is interesting, because I have a very positive association with the idea of dependency injection. mm -hmm. That, to me, often means extracting hard-coded knowledge inside of something and moving it up a layer? Yep. Is that similar to what you're describing? Yes. So I think that very aptly describes dependency injection as Mm -hmm. a concept, the idea of rather than hard-coding in the things that you're collaborating with, you accept them as inputs to your unit, uh, to your class or to your function or whatever. And I like that. I think that is a good thing. The complexity in my mind and where I've run into issues is in a dependency injection framework. So this is code that other people have written that manages dependency injection and allows you to do that configuration, lift it up a couple layers higher. Okay. I, in the Angular app, am not as directly in control of the dependency injection. I'm not passing the values into the objects. I am describing what are all of the possible things in the system at runtime and at test time. And then the system merges and meshes and provides the right value at the right time. My experience has been that that has been extremely complicated and is not something that I've really enjoyed. And it sounds like that's because you're too you're further removed from the control and like it's a little mm. bit of magic that's happening in there. It's a little a bit of, of magic, it's a lot of ceremony okay. and it's it's not just JavaScript. Mm. So this is something that I like about React is the template language is JavaScript. Uh, it's JSX technically, which is a different build step, but it's one that I've just kind of like, all right, I'm fine. The transformation is pretty minimal in my mind for JSX, but otherwise, if you need to iterate through a bunch of things and render them, you use map. If you need to manipulate an array, you use the array manipulation functions. If you need to do conditional logic, you use a ternary, which, again, in Ruby we wouldn't do. But in JavaScript, it's, I think, the correct answer. And so it's all of these familiar idioms, things that I know and that I recognize. In Angular, we're working in templates, so string-based templates with custom attribute-level annotations. So like the way that you do iteration in Angular is to say star ng4 equals and then a string expression as an attribute on an HTML element in a string template. And then that says, you know, for this collection, these are each of the objects and loop through them. And the same thing, ng if is the way that you do a conditional. Mm. And... 
typos show up. And again, the type system sometimes actually catches those. So that's a case where it it can kick in, but not as much as I would want. I've definitely typoed a bunch of things. And it's like, all right, cool. That's a string now. Like, no, I didn't want a string. I wanted you to tell me that I typed clicky instead of click, please. (laughs) So that, that has been a struggle. The third piece that's kind of interesting is that Angular brings RxJS, so reactive JavaScript, into the mix. And that is something that I have not worked with as much. I'm very intrigued by the idea, but I find it's a force fit in a lot of places. So, yeah, it's a bunch of stuff. And that one is very, very similar to my experiences with maybe in either in, in bigger data types like that or promises, as another example. At first, they were very confusing to me. And I was like, I don't get this, and I don't like it. RxJS... Currently, I'm in that place, but I don't know if that's just me and not having as much familiarity or if I am correct in that it's a bit of a force fit. You mentioned RxJS. Can you talk about that a little bit more? I'm not familiar with that. Sure. So my understanding is mostly from blog posts. Uh, I've used it, but I've used it sort of in anger on this project. I mean that in terms of like I am finding the things and I'm copying the words, but I don't feel like I have an intuitive sense within the app that I'm building Mm. of how to leverage and get best use out of the whole reactive JavaScript thing. But I have read about it and I think I understand it conceptually. So my sense is reactive JavaScript RxJS is a way to deal with streams of values over time. So a promise is the closest equivalent. A promise is an encapsulation of a value holding on to the idea that that value will be available in the future. So you can pass around a promise, you can chain them together, you can sequence Mm -hmm. them, uh, but it's for a single value. So at some point in the future, that promise will resolve and you'll get that value or it will fail and then you'll get into the error mode and you have to handle that. But it's only for a single value. And it only resolves once. So you get that value, and once it's resolved, that promise is resolved. And any time you try and interact with it, that's the value you're going to get. Reactive JavaScript, RxJS, deals with the concept of observables, which are very similar to promises, but it's a stream of values over time. So a great example of an observable would be like an interval. Once every five seconds, push a new value into this stream. And then there's a whole bunch of transformations that you can do. So you can say like, take five. So let's take the first five from this, in theory, infinite stream of five values. Or make an HTTP request, or debounce, or throttle, or any number of other very powerful combinations mm-hmm. working from this base idea of an observable. There's a lot of other stuff that's been said, and there are some really great, really great things, I think, inherent to that world. But in the app that I'm doing, it's basically like there's a button. And when you click it, I should post to the server. This is not an observable stream of events. Or it is, but I don't want to model it that way. And there's overhead to modeling it that way. And I feel like right now I'm mostly fighting against that. I've yet to experience. There's one place in the app where we're actually polling the back end. And there's a little bit of throttling and debouncing and a couple of other things. I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice there. But then there's a place where I'm just making a post request when someone clicks a button. I'm like, this is a lot of ceremony. So it's been an interesting experience. Lots of new stuff. Yeah, that's tough. If you reach for a tool that feels like it's adding more mental overhead to something that you think is a little more simple, Mm -hmm. like that sort of post button that you're referencing. So I'm curious. uh, So as you've been learning Angular and I've also been learning React, we hinted at this a little bit at the beginning about learning in public because that's something that I think is near and dear to both of us Mm. and how important it is. It's something that I think we practice here very well. I know if it weren't for Slack channels that we have and the people that have experience with React and TypeScript, that has been a huge support system for me. What are your thoughts? How's it been learning Angular and leveling up and working on a project as you go? So it's interesting. Learning in public is the like, 
like highest form of this in my mind where it's the willingness to be wrong and to say things out loud and to say like, ah, here's my best guess at what this thing means. And I think the safety and comfort that we feel within ThoughtBot and in, even in the broader community is wonderful and a fantastic, like that's the best way to learn is to say a thing that's potentially wrong and then have people correct you. So I'm a huge believer in that. I also love the support that we have within the ThoughtBot ecosystem. I've been a little bit more removed from that with this because Angular is not as much of a core competency for us. So I've been struggling a bit. We're also using a different version of Angular. So some of what I'm seeing on the internet is not relevant because we're a couple versions back and actually a side, sort of a forked version. So it's adding a lot of complexity. It does make me appreciate so much the culture of Stack Overflow and people sharing what they've learned and making that available and writing blog posts. The lack of that in my world right now is really highlighting how much I'm like, oh man, we really are spoiled most of the time. Stack Overflow is such an amazing piece of our community, frankly. Yeah, I've found that. And so far, it's been well received. But I found that when I'm thinking through something or if I'm learning something new, I will often go to someone that knows a bit more than I do about that topic. And I'll be like, I'm, I'm just going to say things to you. And I would love for you to let me know when I say something wrong or keep encouraging me to let me know if I'm saying the right things. And I have found that really helpful. Yeah, it's it's fun to be able to have that sort of comfort area to be able to talk to people and be wrong and that be totally normal and acceptable and no one's going to think poorly of you for that. It certainly has increased the velocity at which I learn something new because I feel so comfortable being wrong and then that way it feels fun and I tend to pick up things quickly when it's a fun experience for me versus if it feels like something that you're trying to to keep from others and sort of like learn in the quiet on the side. Sneaky learning on the side. Yeah. I think it's probably one of our consulting superpowers. We're often willing to come in and be like, I'll be the weird one that asks the question, but everybody keeps saying this acronym. What is that acronym? And my favorite experience is when no one in the room knows. (laughs) No one's like, ah, well, it means this, but I don't know what it actually stands for or where it comes from. And then someone else is like, wait, I thought it was a different thing. But that ability, that that comfort with being outside of our comfort zone uh, is fantastic. And I love that ThoughtBot supports and encourages that. So uh, and now, hey, you've got a podcast where you can be wrong. <laughs> this is true. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, it's great. <laughs> I just said it shouldn't be scary, but I'm admitting that it's scary. That's true. That'll be fun, too, to, to say stuff here and to hear feedback and see how it goes. Indeed. Well, with that, I think we've uh, probably reached a good stopping point for today. We'll be back next week with more, but do you want to take us out, Steph? Sure. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our others, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes or share it on Twitter. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bikeshed or reach me as Vicari on Twitter. And I'm at Chris Toomey on Twitter. Or host at bikeshed.fm via email. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next Bike Shed. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh, come discover a better way to work.